We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on? Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast, Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Goldman. Boy, do we have a fun one to talk about today. Michael J. Fachi, he told me that he was not going to be here for Tuesday or Wednesday night's episodes. He said he had to take a train to Washington, D.C. I'm not making that up. That is his exact words that he told me. And I said, bro, why did you tell me that? I'm going to let the listeners know. But while Fachi's on a train to D.C., we got some Pacers basketball to talk about Taking down the red-hot Philadelphia 76ers, 132-126. Joining me to talk about that is from the Pacers group chat pods that you guys have heard on here before. David Cole. David, what is going on, my man? Man, what's going on is this Pacers team. Holy cow. Uh, I You know, last last on Sunday, it was a tough game. Felt like that they didn't play good enough to win. 
And there was a few things I was like, okay, well, you know, if we change these few things, maybe we can win. They were better in some of the areas that they struggled in the last game. And still, I was like, I don't know if they can, st- I don't know if they can win this game still. And uh, Tyrus Halliburton with about a minute left got me feeling like Michael J. Focci up out of my, about, up off the couch, running around the house uh, after he hit that shot with one minute to go. And they pulled it out. It's pretty, pretty exciting. Let's just stay there with Tyrese Halliburton because Tyrese yeah, Halliburton was absolutely incredible in both these games against the 76ers, but tonight took it up to another level. Really got the Pacers going in the first quarter because they were struggling a little bit offensively. Tyrese Halliburton went 4-4 from three in that quarter at four assists. was really just taking over the game, but he finishes the game with 33 points, 15 assists, seven rebounds, and once again, zero turnovers. He had a dagger three to give the Pacers a nine-point lead. Kind of, I think it was nine points to put this game out of reach with about a minute left. And it's just like, this is what Tyrese Halliburton does. And it's what he continues to do is he just makes the right play at the right time, hits a big shot when he needs to. And it's just like, it, we're spoiled. We don't realize how spoiled we are. The guy's in his, what, fourth year in the NBA. He's he's not even ending his prime yet. And he's going to be all NBA this year. Mark my words, November 14th, Tyrese Halliburton will be an all NBA point guard this year. And he's going to be a starter for the NBA all-star team. That's a hot take. Sure. Whatever you want to call it, but I don't really think it's that hot. I think Tyrese Halliburton has been that good, David. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And the other thing that people are maybe not going to notice right away, seven rebounds. He was the second leading yes. rebounder, which seven rebounds is not insane, but seven rebounds for Halliburton is not something that he's really focused on. Um, he's, you know, out, out on the perimeter a lot more often, you know, Miles Turner and, uh, Jalen Smith and those kind of guys down lower cleaning up the boards, uh, because of the foul trouble though, he had a lot more opportunities to, to get in there. Seven rebounds plus 19. Yeah. Plus, plus 19, 19. Uh, <laughs> in a, in a, in a six point win is pretty nutty. <laughs> yeah. And he also had two steals and a block. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was just out of this world. The only thing he didn't do right was he didn't go 100% from the free throw line. A four or five missed the free throw in the third <laughs> quarter. The Pacers probably needed the, that free throw at the time. But, you know, he he played a really amazing game once again. And, you know, last week we were, or last game we were talking about Tyrese Maxey. Well, this week, we're this game, we're talking about Tyrese Halliburton because of what he did. Now, I do want to jump over to what happened in that first quarter because it did not look good for the Pacers with their center position. Daniel Tice ruled out before the game for personal reasons. Miles Turner gets two fouls in like the first like four minutes of the game. Jalen Smith comes in. He gets two quick fouls. Isaiah Jackson comes in the first quarter. He gets two fouls. So now everybody's back with two fouls on him in the first quarter. Joel Embiid was just having his way into the free throw line at ease. And and it felt like this was going to be a long game. I just didn't feel like the Pacers were going to be able to recover from this just because of all the foul trouble they had. And then Jalen Smith goes down with an injury in the second quarter has to be uh, taken out of the game, taken to a hospital to get checked on for concussion. Uh, Marcus Morris, of course, got him in the head with a hard box out, you know. But then Isaiah Jackson really had to step up because Miles picked up his third foul. With, I think he had three fouls in six minutes, David. Yeah, he had so, an offensive foul in the second quarter. Yes, and it was just a it was a stupid one too. It's kind of one that I thought was why are we calling this right here right now? But it's like okay. Isaiah Jackson, I thought he played pretty solid in that first half for what they asked him to do, but that small ball lineup the Pacers went to, this is something I want to hit on because it was so interesting to me how effective that group was. In the final five minutes and 16 seconds of the second quarter, listen to this. The Pacers held the 76ers to six points. Four of those are from the free throw line. They had one made basket from Tobias Harris. They won one for 11 during that stretch, and... 
I, I think they had uh, two turnovers as well. So it was one of those things where the Pacers went to a small ball lineup and just dominated Philly with and beat out there. And I think that really kind of changed the game for him heading into halftime. Yeah, it was really interesting. And I think that this was early on, I was taking notes and I was like, is this going to be like Isaiah Jackson's best game of his career? Because he had some really strong moments, uh, a couple of really like well-timed uh, like rebounds for putbacks and some pretty good defense overall. Um, it's a pretty impossible matchup for an for an Isaiah Jackson, your third string center, putting up against the MVP from last year. Right. You, you know, you can only hope that it's not a disaster and it wasn't a disaster. So um I was happy with that. But that that stretch, one of the things I was noticing is that like, yes, it kind of made the Sixers have to adjust because it was a very different lineup than I think they maybe were expecting. I don't know. Um, but one of the things I was catching is like they just were not force feeding and beat the ball. Um, there was a couple, like three or four minute stretch in, towards the end of the second quarter there where he just wasn't getting the ball and they weren't getting it to Maxi that much either. Cause he had a, had a cold first half. And then in the second quarter, it was a lot of, um, Melton and a lot of Harris. And I was like, okay, you know, like they were still scoring decent, decently up until that last stretch that you're talking about. But honestly, for me, it's like, if, if we're going to go down, in this game and lose to Harris and Melton is like, you know, okay. You have to kind of let them have a little bit more opening in order to help shut down Maxi and Embiid. You can't cover everybody, not with this Pacers team, especially <laughs> on defense. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to overcommit, you want to overcommit to Embiid and Maxi, not overcommit to Covington and Harris and Melton and people like that. So yeah. I, I was pleasantly surprised that they weren't just like going old school and like, saying, okay, we're going to just stand here on the wing and wait for Embiid to post somebody up and give him the ball. And they didn't do that as much as I thought they would. They did later in the game, but in that second quarter, they just kind of quit doing it, and it let us kind of get our, our footing a little bit after the uh, come, like, after the, in that first quarter when the Sixers came back and kind of got the score back to being close, and yeah. let us kind of push the lead back up to that 4-6 range that we had it at earlier. Yeah, they went on the Pacers went on a 9-0 run when that group yeah. came out there with that small ball lineup. And I think one of the things that worked in their advantage was they were double teaming Embiid. And it was like the Sixers were trying to force feed Embiid down there, but they really couldn't get a clean look. So it really disrupted their offense and allowed the Pacers to get out and run because missed shots are the best opportunity to get out and run, not taking the ball out of the basket. I mean, the Pacers can do that, but it's just a lot easier when you already have Embiid down down at the other side of the goal, underneath the basket, trying to recover. And then you have him trying to guard an Obi Toppin or an Aaron Neesmith or whoever else they want to put him out on there. Because I think they tried Obi Toppin for a few plays. And Obi Toppin, I mean, we haven't even got to him yet, but had his best game as a pacer. We'll get to him in a second. I mean, but they were just cooking with that lineup. And I thought it was great. And you talk about it, you know, trying to make everybody else beat you besides Maxine and beat even Tobias Harris. Like you kind of live with that a little bit. But Robert Covington had to play a lot more minutes. Marcus Morris having to play more minutes. You know, Daniel House having to get in there a little bit more just because they did not have Kelly Oubre, obviously, who was out from the injury that happened on Saturday where he was struck as a pedestrian, um, which is just crazy. And then you yeah. also have Nicholas Batum, who was not in this game. And I think that there's a good chance the Pacers lose this game if Batum's in there just because he's a really smart passer and the way that he would have been able to kind of control things a little bit, I think, differently than a guy like Rocco. So, Honestly, don't want to take anything away from the Pacers. They they handled business. But you look at the 34 made free throws from Philadelphia. 17 of them were from Embiid. Melton had 10. Maxi had 7. 
it's like those are the only three guys that got to the free throw line at all. And I felt like there was just some dumb fouls on Melton. Obviously, Embiid's a, a foul magnet. Um, it's it's just annoying playing against him. It's like you can't even touch the guy. He's falling all over the floor, you know. Somehow never gets called for any flopping fouls, but Obi Toppin gets called for the only time he maybe even halfway flopped. So it's it's just one of those things. But I want to go back to Obi Toppin because Obi Toppin really, I think, was a difference maker in the, for the Pacers in this game. I mean, might have been the X factor of the game. Obviously, Halliburton had an amazing game, but 12 of 15 from the floor, 80% from the field. I mean, he just had one of those games where you're just like, can this guy miss a shot? It, it was unbelievable. 27 points from, I think that's the most he's had in like a meaningful basketball game and like not, not in April and like his entire career. So six rebounds for him an assist a block. I mean, he was just everywhere tonight, David, what were your thoughts on Obi Toppin? I mean, he was 11 of 12 from two. So that's the yeah. other thing is like he hit that first three and I was like, okay, this could be a crazy game. And he cooled off from three, but still 11 of 12 from two. One of the things I noticed, I felt like he was doing a better job of cutting. A lot of times he gets started from these fast breaks. And on Sunday, we just really didn't get any fast breaks. Um, I, they mentioned in the, in the broadcast how many points we had on the fast break last game. And it was under 10. I don't remember. It was like four or six, something crazy. Um, usually we have much more than that. And this game, we got back into that. But I think even just in the half court, he was getting much more active. I feel like I feel like sometimes he, he kind of sits in the corner and looks for that open corner three, which when he's hitting it is great. But uh, I think that for him to get going, get into the flow of the game and get get, get in his rhythm, he needs to do what he did tonight. It seemed like he was constantly cutting to the rim and just giving someone an opportunity to throw it up. Um, there were some times where it was, wasn't even a great pass to him and he made it work mm. uh, on, on fast breaks and in the half court. So he just was really, really good around the rim, especially even in, even in traffic with Embiid and other people down low. He still was able to to get a couple of shots off. There's a couple of ones that I thought he was going to miss and he either go around the opposite side of the rim or he would just find a way to like get it over to the top. And uh, I thought he was really impressive around the rim. And especially just like working those 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 passing lanes and getting to the rim, uh, getting like to the rim to be open to catch the pass. Yeah, I mean he he did what he does best, and that's fine with yeah. to, to get open and take advantage of some of the disadvantages that the the Sixers have. I think he was not afraid at all to attack attack Embiid, which we know Embiid's a really good rim protector, but he's also a little slow footed, especially when you're talking about an athletic guy like Obi Toppin, and that's what kind of gives the Pacers a little bit more of a of an X-factor this year because they never had a power forward with this type of athleticism in a very long time, maybe ever. And I'm not saying that for any dramatic reasons, but I mean, just the type of athlete that Obi Toppin is, like he's a really good athlete. So that, I don't want to like sound like I'm being over the top here, but I, I thought he played really well. And, and somebody I want to give a lot of credit to who, if you look in the box score, you're probably not going to think this guy jumped off the page too much. We've got to give credit to Bruce Brown. 35 yeah, for sure. minutes, 48 seconds played tonight. So basically 36 minutes. He was incredible defensively against Tyrese Maxey. Look, I understand Tyrese Maxey still ended up having 27 points. But you're talking about a guy that dropped 50 points on us the other night. He ended up shooting just 39% from the field, uh, had two of five from three. So, I mean, he he had some impactful moments there for sure. He, he had a nice crossover on, uh, on Bruce after Bruce bullied him and scored a layup on him. He came down and hit him with a cross, and I don't know if he pushed him or not with his left hand before he got the shot off, but I know uh, Quinn Buckner was throwing out the, oh, I wonder if Tyrese is doing the classic Michael Jordan where you push the guy to create space to shoot. And I was like, you know what? I, I kind of like that, Quinn. Let's let's go with that. But 
I thought Bruce played incredible defense against him. I mean, you're not going to be able to slow down great players all the time, but just being able to make them work for their points was huge. Yeah, I mean, speaking of making them work, so Maxi shot the ball, five took five more shots than Halliburton, and uh, I think two more free throws, if, I, if I'm seeing this right, and, uh, and scored six fewer points than Halliburton. Yeah. So, and part of that is that Halliburton was hot from three, sure. But Halliburton only shot five threes, and Maxie shot five threes too. So it wasn't like Halliburton was just yakking him up after he hit those that, that four of, um, that four of, no, sorry, that's free throws. He shot 12 three-pointers. I was like, that didn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, Halliburton shot 12, uh, 12 three-pointers, and yeah. Maxie shot five. And part of that is, you know, when you start four of four, and then, you know, you have kind of that license to just, you know, go. Um, whereas Maxie started off a little bit colder, in the first half. And so prime and a big part of that goes to goes to Bruce Brown. I mean, he was playing him hard. And uh I was there's a couple times where I was nervous they might call a foul on him and they didn't. Um although, you know, like you already mentioned, a lot of those calls were going in beads way. So I, I don't know if they felt like they had to um kind of swallow some whistles here and there, but you know, Bruce Brown worked his butt off on that assignment and I think he made a big difference, even though you're not going to be able to see it in the box score. He was awesome. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I want to go to the fourth quarter now because this is where the Pacers really had to come and win this one. And there was one player for the Pacers that I was afraid was never going to get into a rhythm because of the foul trouble. That was Miles Turner. Miles Turner was absolutely phenomenal in the fourth quarter. The Pacers, uh, they scored 37 points. Miles had 15 points in the fourth quarter. He was 4-7 from the field, 1-2 from three. Uh, six to seven from the free throw line. So he was really able to get to the free throw line and draw some fouls. He only had two rebounds. He had a block, but he ended up fouling out in this game. And I, and I understand why fans were like, man, he just can't guard and be blah, 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 blah. But no, Turner stepped up and played huge in this moment here because when he was in foul trouble, they went to him. They said, we need you. He was big in this game and he played with an extra motivation to him. And he even drew a foul on Joel Embiid, stood there strong and took a charge and like, Nine out of ten times, I guarantee they're calling that on Embiid if Turner's just turned a little bit different. So he squared himself up and just took the hit right to the chest. I mean, not much you can say when a guy scores 15 in the fourth to help you close a game. You can't really criticize it. Obviously, didn't have a good first three quarters, but that final quarter was just phenomenal for Miles. Yeah, and I mean, the one thing that I can understand fans being critical that Miles has a hard time with Embiid and that he's in foul trouble and all these things, but the one thing that I think you should be noticing to give you a little bit of a positive spin on it, not that you need to like spin it like, like a story, but generally in the past, I've, I've been a, a, a little bit of a defender of miles. Okay. But in the past he has not done well, obviously against him being really poorly. And the problem is he gets off to these bad starts. He's in foul trouble and then plays the rest of the game really timid because he doesn't want to get, in those last few fouls and get fouled out of the game. But then the problem then is you're basically taking away some of your strengths that the team needs in order to avoid getting foul calls. So we're not getting your best because you're nervous about getting those last few foul calls. And in this fourth quarter, he was anything but timid. Uh, there was a lot of times where he was playing smart and he's playing careful and he's kind of letting him beat, take an open shot and he would contest it. He just wouldn't like fly out there. Um, but he, like you said, I'm glad you mentioned that charge because that's a risk, like the, mm -hmm. especially with Embiid and the way that the refs kind of will call what happens around Embiid. Um, that's a risk to to do that 
And it is the right play, and it's the right basketball move. And so I'm, I'm happy to see him this fourth quarter, not just offensively put up shots and make buckets, but being willing to go at Embiid on offense and play good defense um, and, and not play scared or nervous to get that last couple of fouls. Because when he did that, when he did take that charge, he already had his fifth foul. He got mm. his fifth foul a little bit before that and took the charge when he that could have been called on him, and then he's out with like two, two and a half to go. Versus when he fouled out with like less than a minute, maybe or around a minute, it was pretty late in the game at that point. I think we were up by nine when he fouled yeah. out, so it was like, okay, well, he's fine, foul out, it's whatever, no big deal. Yeah, at that point, you're just like, okay, you served your purpose. You came in here and provided us a spark that we needed in the fourth because the Pacers needed a different look, and I think that Philadelphia had really kind of figured out how to kind of stop Indiana a little bit with their guard and their and their bigger wing rotation a little bit. So Turner gave them a different look they didn't really have, and that was someone that could score at the five position. So that was huge. And I want to go back to what you said about Turner because, like you said, in previous games, in previous years, Turner has allowed himself to mentally get checked out of these games, almost where he's just overthinking it. He's in his head too much. He's like, man, no matter what I do, they're going to call a foul. This is ridiculous. This is crazy, blah, blah, blah. He just really gets out out of rhythm, out of sync. And I thought to myself, Man, he's really going to get himself in trouble here if he gets in foul trouble once again. He's going to play a little timid like you talked about and not be himself. But this is where you can see where Miles has matured as a player. You know, honestly, this is probably two of the best games he's ever played against Embiid. And it's weird to think that in this game (laughs) is one of them. Considering the foul trouble that he was in and the minutes that he actually played overall, I think he ended up playing like 20-some minutes. 19. 19, 19 17 points in 19 minutes. That's insane. So <laughs> that that right there just tells you how impactful Miles can be in a game like this because we know Joel Embiid, and I talked about it on the last podcast, he does not want to go around chasing guys around the three-point line. Yep. He wants to drop. He wants to kind of protect the rim. And there's a ways you can take advantage of that. And Miles shooting is one of them. But then Miles' ability also to draw the defender out and then go around them with taking the ball. Like He can he can go off the ball. Like, I'm off the dribble, excuse me. He can take guys off the dribble and get to the basket. And so there's the threes that I don't like what Miles takes is like when he takes like the step back threes or stuff like that. Like just, that's not him. He needs to be more set, catch and shoot kind of guy, sure. really good in his rhythm. But I, I felt like there were some times where he was able to take guys off the dribble and just kind of get in the paint and be more of a mm-hmm. force because in this game or in this quarter, he only was one of two from three. So he was able to get to the free throw line to get seven attempts had, you know, four made field goals inside the three-point line or three made field goals in the three-point line as well. So just a just a really great fourth quarter from him. And honestly, they needed that because Tyrese Maxey got really hot in the fourth quarter, David. He had 15 of his yeah. 27 in the fourth. And that's kind of where things got a little bit questionable. But they held, they held Joel Embiid to just two made baskets in the fourth quarter. He ended up having four free throws made. But if you can hold him to two made baskets in the fourth when the game's in the balance, that's really solid defense. Yeah. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. 
You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Yeah, I I felt like it means one of those kind of players that the, the stories about Bobby Knight coaching against Shaq, it was kind of just like, let him, not let him, let him, but you know, he's going to score his points. Let's, let's just make sure that we win the game. We stop people around him. Obviously you don't want to let Embiid have his way. You want to make him work really hard. And I think that they did exactly that. Even though he has 39, you might see that 39, 12, six assists, three steals. You're like, Oh my gosh, he had an insane game. We had five turnovers. It was a negative nine had four fouls. So, I mean, yes, he had a, he had a good game. Obviously he's a great player, but they made him work really hard to the point where there was a lot of times where he wasn't really closing out on jump shots. He had a couple of turnovers where he kind of turned the ball over. And I've seen other players keep fighting to kind of try to get the ball back and then force the person that just recovered the turnover to force a turnover. <laughs> and he was just kind of like force he would like turn the ball over and then just kind of stand there and let whoever on our team had the ball kind of just keep moving up, up the court. And it felt like he was a little bit gassed and they he sat for a big stretch in the second half he ended up still playing 38 minutes there's a big stretch where he sat and i was like okay they're i mean they're going to be on a back-to-back tomorrow right the sixers yeah they got the celtics yeah then it's a big game right celtics so like like you just said so so they're probably trying to be careful with his minutes a little bit um but the pacers made him run made him work i think that's kind of how you have to do that is make him earn all those points yeah, for sure. So I want to go back to the third quarter because this is where the Pacers kind of lost the lead, and that's where they allowed Philadelphia to score 40 points. And we talked about Melton getting hot. The guy had 15 points in the third quarter. He was the only one keeping them afloat because in this in this moment, two points from Tyrese Maxey in the in third. Tobias Harris only had six. Joel Embiid had 13. It was literally DeAnthony Melton keeping them alive. Eight of eight from the free throw line. He ended up having 10 free throws for the game. He had eight of them. In this quarter, the Pacers had no stop for him whatsoever. So it was frustrating to watch. You're like, how are we letting this guy beat us? Like, you know, I, I don't care if Marcus Morris wants to hit a hit a fadeaway jumper over Tyrese Halliburton. Like, I'll live with that. I, yeah. I can't live with Melton getting to the free throw line eight times in that quarter. So that was really rough. But you got to give a shout out to TJ McConnell, who played his best quarter in the third. He had nine points in that quarter and really kind of kept the Pacers afloat. Obi Toppin had eight. Tyrese Halliburton only had six in that quarter. Um, but but it was just one of those things where it's like the Pacers needed to kind of handle that punch from Philly because you knew they were going to come out and give them their best punch and trying to withstand a Philly team in that environment because Philly is a very tough environment to play in. It's crazy. But um, other than that, I think that the one thing we really need to touch on is that crazy uh, sequence that happened in the fourth quarter with about 10 minutes and 45 seconds left. Bruce Brown goes to block Tobias Harris' shot. He jumps over the top of him because he bit on the pump fake. Tobias Harris has to leave the game because they're afraid of concussion protocol or they're afraid of a concussion. So he goes into concussion protocol and the officials originally said, okay, Indiana, you pick the shooter for this off the bench. So they pick KJ Martin. KJ Martin comes in, bricks both free throws. Philadelphia gets the rebound. They kick it out. They miss a three. Indiana, I think, started to recover the rebound and somehow Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Aaron Eastman threw a bad pass to Halliburton. The ball goes out of bounds. They get the ball back. I'm not even sure if they scored on the next play or not. But at seven minutes and 30 seconds, they come back from a timeout. 
and the officials are reviewing this play, they own up and said, we made a mistake because it was a concussion protocol exit. The 76ers actually get to pick their shooter. So Pacers shouldn't have been able to put KJ Martin into the game, which means that they gave them free free throws, two free free throws to Tyrese Maxey in the fourth quarter, because that's who they would have had elected to shoot if they could have picked with Tobias exiting in the game. And it made the Pacers end up trailing 107-105 at this point. Turner, I think, was at the free throw line with one more attempt left. And so it was just a weird sequence. And I, I think to me, like, I, I'm I'm understanding that they're trying to go back and correct things when they have them done wrong. But, like, three minutes later in the game, in a very close game like this, doesn't make a lot of sense to me, number one. Number two, had they made that three-point shot, what happens? Do they erase a three-point shot and say, well, you guys really shouldn't have had that. You should have shot. No. You can't go back and fix everything. So to me, I think that's one where you just kind of have to say, we screwed up. We'll fix it next time moving forward. Like we own up to it. Like we we messed up as the officiating crew, but instead they go back and fix it. And that to me made no sense, David. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I will say though, I'm really glad they did it because now not only did, not only do the Sixers fans have no, they can't be like, oh, well, you know, we would have won this game. You know, we will put Maxi on the line. He'll make the two free throws and then, you know, it'll change the flow of the, you know, whatever. Fair. Because and the thing is, is like I, when that happened, I was like, I wasn't mad that it was happening. I wasn't mad because it was unfair or because it wasn't the right call. Or I was frustrated because our offense is almost exclusively just like momentum. And there were several things that were happening that were not um, like illegal or not trying to be shady. Um, there's things that happened in the game that were slowing down the pace for us. And one of those was, um, Harris's injury and I don't think that he was being dramatic I think that everything that happened there was above board and needed to happen the way that it happened in terms of him having to leave and get cleared and get checked and all that stuff I want our players to feel like they're safe and like NBA players and I want that to be happening like it is in the NFL with concussions and with head, head issues and the lingering effects of all that so I thought that was fine but because of it happening we have to just stand around and like that, that momentum can start to die down and then when they come back and review it again, and now we're killing them the, the, the like our momentum again. And I'm just like, okay, this could really like if our offense comes back sluggish, you're gonna know why. And instead of coming back sluggish, we were fine and we moved forward and we still won. So like, if anyone had a reason to be complaining about that, all the outcome of that, it was Pacers fans. So I didn't want to win this game and have Sixers fans be like, oh well, that was bad. You know, we should have had this. Whatever, whatever. No, we beat you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, that's one way to look at it. I think in the moment it just kind of felt like this is just so like random. It was odd. I don't yes. think I've ever seen anything like this in the NBA where they've gone back and like completely changed it. And I'm all about getting the rules right. But at one point, do we have to have a seven minute review? Like yeah. this is one of those things like Sakaka should have said, okay, hold on. This is what happened. Explain it to the head officials, have them explain it to the coaches. Yeah. And that moves on. Like it shouldn't have been that difficult. I don't know out. why it took that long. Yeah, I really don't know why it took that it, long. I think it was literally 10 minutes. It was a long of time. time. Of actual time that everyone's just sitting around. Like you're talking about a very like back and forth, a lot of mm -hmm. momentum changing, you know, moments happening in this quarter. And then it just all gets stalled for 10 minutes yeah. because they screwed up on a, a way they officiated something or a, one of the rules they applied. It's like, you know what? There's a lot of rules that are in the NBA and I understand you're not going to make every call right. Like you miss how many travels? I don't know. I guess all the ones I wanted to call were on uh, Ben Matherin, but, you know, it's just like, it, it was tough. But I, I will say this, the Pacers did what they had to do in this game because yeah. 
they got dominated on the glass on Sunday. They were just absolutely awful, abysmal from the uh, from a rebounding standpoint. But tonight, believe it or not, they out-rebounded the Philadelphia 76ers, 41-38. It was a team effort. They actually out-rebounded them on the offensive glass, too, 10-5. So the Pacers were able to get seven more field goal attempts than the yeah. 76ers, which is huge because last game the 76ers were able to put up 15 more. And if you look at this interesting stat that I just remember for whatever reason, Indiana had uh, allowed the 76ers to get 105 field goal attempts last game, just 86 tonight. Holy cow. So that's 19 field goal attempts that they did mm-hmm. not attempt compared to the previous game. Now, obviously, free throw shots, I'm sure, play a factor in that as well. But even the free throw attempts, like it was 33 to 35. Indiana just could not hit their free throws. 23 of 33, 69.7%. It, it was just not a good showing. And I thought to myself, if we lose this game close, no matter how bad the officiating could have been half the time, Pacers just didn't make the free throws and they needed to make them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd be curious to see like what because like to me it's like it should be 75, 80, 85. Like I don't know. You're professionals. I get it. Some people aren't as good at it, but we don't have a team full of people that don't sh- like even Obi, who was one of three and he wasn't great from the free throw uh, one of three from three and wasn't great from the free throw line. Um, even he's not a bad shooter. Like, I wouldn't be like, oh, I wouldn't be like freaking out, nervous if he was shooting clutch free throws. Yeah. Um. So. It's like sixty nine point seven percent from a team that's got a bunch of good shooters. On the, you know, like, I don't. That's the kind of thing where I'm like, okay. And we also, we and we know we're not bad at bad at free throws because we had a game where we were perfect or we missed one something like that recently. Again, I don't remember remember if that was was that in the Spurs game. It might have been. It I was, can't there, there was a game where we missed like one or two free throws. It was not like 90, 98, 97. Oh yeah, I think it was the Spurs game. Yeah, it was like so. So we can do it. <laughs> And that doesn't mean it should be that way every time, but it could be like in the 80s or in the high 70s. Even just like three or four more uh, made free throws would have probably put that game away a couple minutes earlier. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I mean, honestly, this was just a game where a lot of ups and downs. You didn't know what to expect. Like probably the lowest minutes we've seen from Nimhard and Matherin, like 15 yeah. minutes and 53 seconds for Matherin, 943 for Nimhard. Just not something you're used to seeing. McConnell ended up getting 13 minutes, and we kind of talked about this before we started, but, you know, Bruce and and Ty getting 38 and 36 minutes, that does kind of eat into those backcourt minutes a little bit, and the Pacers were really relying upon that offensive firepower, that defensive firepower from Bruce, who had a really tough job of guarding Tyrese Maxey. But the one that I was a little bit surprised by, 29 minutes for Buddy Heald, and Buddy ended up being a plus nine in the fourth. So he was out there when the moments were going good for the Pacers, but I don't really think I had anything to do with Buddy. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that, but I thought there was just some timely plays. Like he had a terrible turnover, just some dumb shots. And I, I, I don't know. Buddy Heald's been really hot and cold this season. When he's been really good, it's like you feel it. But then even at times when he hasn't been great, I was a little bit surprised to see him out there to finish this game. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. Isaiah Jackson in twelve less minutes outscored Buddy Heald. Yeah. And I'm again, like I love Buddy. He's so much fun to have on the team. Great personality. And when he's on, he is like lights out. I do Zero not understand. <laughs> yeah. <the> fourth. <laughs> yeah. And I don't understand. Here's like the thing is, is like something. Why is he out there? 
if he's not scoring, if he's cold, he's one of he was sorry, he was o of three from three and one of five from the field. So then what's he giving you? Because he's not giving you a bunch of assists, he's not giving you a bunch of steals or, or rebounds. So then why are you benching Matherin? Why are you, you know, benching Nimard, both of which were gonna play better defense, probably get you definitely should get you more assists than Buddy most games, probably get you more rebounds than Buddy. So it's like all these positives. If if Buddy's supposed to be a more, he generally can be a more a better offensive player. I mean, Matherin outscored him in in his sixteen minutes, thirteen fewer minutes, and had you know. But, but Matherin's a better offensive player. That's why I chose Jackson. Who you know, Jackson in seventeen minutes had more points than Buddy Heald today. It's just crazy. And I'm not again like Buddy Heald's a great player. Not trying to just like poo poo him as a player, but tonight. Why did he get almost 30 minutes when you give Matherin 16 and Nimhard, what, 10, not even 10? Yeah, not it's even like, 10. That's, that's where my issue is. Not that Buddy Heald played tonight, <laughs> but that Buddy Heald played almost 30 minutes versus the other two people, specifically Matherin and and, um, and Nimhard. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get Matherin. He was kind of, I don't know, he started out, hit the three to start the game. He was had some nice shots. I mean, he, he didn't look terrible, but I think they were just relying so much on Bruce Brown's defense and wanted to go maybe a little bit bigger. Uh, Toppin played really well, so that meant Neesmith was playing more of the three, which took away from uh, Matherin's minutes because Toppin really didn't come out of the game at the four. So, yeah, I, I mean, it was tough. But I really felt like there at the end of the game, like the last eight minutes of that quarter, you probably could have leaned more, a little heavier on the Nimhard minutes instead of the Buddy Hield minutes just because yeah. you got another playmaker, you got a, a much better defender, a better rebounder, um, and then that allows him to kind of play off ball next to Ty, which he's done pretty well, and it also gives you that secondary ball handler because there was two turnovers by Buddy, and that's when he kind of had to run the point because, you know, they were really pressuring Ty, and, and I know Pat Bev was all over him. I mean, didn't really bother Ty at all because it's just Pat Bev, you know, one of the most uh, interesting, I guess you could say, defenders, <laughs> one of those guys that his bark is louder than his bite if that makes sense so and five fouls <laughs> yeah i mean pat bev he's he's fine he's a backup point guard that's what he is but you know he'll harass a guy and he'll make a guy work for it but he he didn't really bother ty that much i mean ty still was able to do what ty does but that's where i felt like nimhard probably could have been in there a little more i, I did not think neesmith played a great game i thought he was he was okay in the first half he wasn't bad but the second half i felt like he really struggled just yeah. like the game, like I don't know, he was he just wasn't shooting the ball well tonight. He just kind of playing a little fast and out of control. So yeah, I mean, there definitely were some things I could have cleaned up, and fouling was one of them, obviously. But when you have a guy like Tyrese Halliburton doing amazing things like he's doing, when you have Obi Toppin playing the best game of his probably NBA career, this is when you feel really good about where this Pacer team is heading. They're seven and four right now. They're third in the Eastern Conference. They're two and zero in in season tournament play. They're headed in a great direction, and I don't care what anybody says about this team. You can say, well, they didn't have this player. They didn't have that player. I don't even care. They yeah. beat the Bucks on Thursday, and they just beat the Sixers and ended their eight-game winning streak in Philadelphia. That's a heck of a win, and without question to me, the best one of the season. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you if you thought this was the best one of the season. and I, I would agree. I think that like a lot of reasons why it's a tough win. Sure, there are a couple of players that are out. That happens, but I mean, in the same for the same reason, we we didn't have, basically basically didn't have Jalen Smith tonight. He played three minutes, and we didn't have Tice in a situation where he actually probably would have logged some pretty decent minutes tonight, given how much foul trouble all of our centers were in. So generally, uh, not having Tice would maybe wouldn't be that big of a deal. But in this game, it actually kind of could have been if things had gone differently in those in those Ajax minutes that he played. So. 
you know, you can do that with like, oh, well, this person didn't play, that person didn't play. You can do that for almost every game out of the 82 games that your team plays. So it's like, that's just what's going to happen. You're not going to be fully healthy most of the time or your opponent might not be one or the other. So you can't get into all that. I think that like, given obviously Halliburton is Halliburton. You can talk about how great he was and leading the offense and how exciting that is for the future. One of the things that I've been really impressed by that I did not necessarily see coming is our bench being so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's normal for the Sixers, but they only had six bench points tonight. Obviously, that would have been bolstered by uh, ha- having their full roster. Um, but we had 33 bench points. 33 wow. to six was the split there, which is absolutely insane. No, you're right. I mean, and our bench has been really good all season long, and it's kind of been our strength. You know, tonight we had to dip a little bit deeper into the bench because we had some, like you said, some foul trouble. And really needed to kind of have Isaiah Jackson step up and play some big minutes. And I thought he did. I mean, Isaiah Jackson provided something different that we haven't normally seen. I mean, I think he's only credited for one block, but it felt like he had two or three really, really nice contests at the rim. He's an athletic freak. Isaiah Jackson can do a lot of good things. He had a really nice lob attempt where it wasn't a great pass from Ty, but he caught it no. and he tried to throw it down. He ended up getting fouled on the play. You know, five of eight from the free throw line. Like, look, Isaiah Jackson, I'm not really expecting much from him. So anytime, anything that he gives me positively, like nine rebounds tonight, that's big yeah. for Isaiah Jackson in those moments when you kind of had to figure things out with, like you said, Jalen not being there, Tice not being there, Turner and foul trouble. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, it was just a really great effort from the bench to kind of pull the Pacers when they needed them at the right time. I think McConnell had 11 points off the bench, led the bench unit with scoring in tonight's game. Yeah. So, you know, you can't say enough great things about the depth of this Pacers roster, and that's what makes it so interesting. When you have a guy like Tyrese, who can be your number one guy, an MVP-level player at this point in the season, you never know who's going to be number two. And we do need to figure that out eventually. But yeah. for tonight, for the rest of the season, it doesn't have to be that way. One night it can be Obi Top, and one night it can be Ben Mather, and one night it can be Miles Turner. One, time, one night it can be even Buddy Hill. You just never know. But you always know Ty is going to show up. And I, it's very rare that you don't see Ty show up. And when he's had rough games, that's when you see an Aaron Neesmith score 24 points off the bench against the Jazz. So yeah, there's just so much depth with this roster that it's really made a difference. But uh, ESPN Stats and Info put this out. They said Tyrese Halliburton had 33 points, 15 assists, and zero turnovers with the Sixers on Tuesday. He had 25, 17, and zero versus Sixers on Sunday. He's the first player with 25 points, 15 assists, and zero turnovers in consecutive in consecutive games since individual turnovers were first tracked in 1977 and 1978. Holy, <laughs> Holy cow. That's so, nuts. And then Kevin O'Connor put this out. He said Tyrese Halliburton just had 33, 15, and zero turnovers in the Pacers went over the Sixers. The players to have 30, 15, zero in a game in NBA history. Four guys. First, John Stockton in 1989 had 33 and 15. In 2009, Chris Paul had 32 and 15. In 2018, LeBron had 35 and 17. And then in 2021, James Harden had 30 and 15. He said Halliburton continues to be one of the best players in the league. The present and future is bright in Indiana. So crazy. Halliburton get all the love. And I think Eddie Garrison from 107.5 The Fan does a great job as a radio producer for the Pacers tweeted out that on TNT tonight, they went live to show the Pacers 76ers game because of how good it was uh, during the Utah game. So I, I believe it was the Utah game. So nice. Great to see the Pacers getting some national love. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and you, you mentioned, you mentioned 
TJ McConnell, before we get too far away from it, 4,000 career points for TJ. Yes. Yes. Which is pretty cool. I want to give him that shout out for that. That was pretty awesome. In but yeah, Philly. I mean, in Philly, which is awesome to have it happen there, which is it's pretty cool. Um, and he started getting going. I was really happy for him because I, I love TJ on the team, but I've not been, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, I, I don't know. I, I understand why his minutes have been low. I'll just put it that way. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, competition and he, he's not the future, right? So I understand why it's been maybe a little bit tough for him to get in the rotation. So it's good to see him um, perform well when he's getting the opportunity. But with Halliburton, you just like, what else can you say? I have many times in the last two years, last two seasons, let's just say this season, the last season, been a little bit nervous that maybe we're overhyping him, that maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, that, you know, maybe he's actually more of like what should be the second best player on a championship team. And part of that is just like the Indiana Pacers fan in me that's like always prepared that we're always going to be the bridesmaid and never the bride, you know? Yeah, like it doesn't matter if it's Reggie Miller, if it's Paul George, if it's Victor Oladipo. We 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 find these guys that get us really, 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 really close, and then it's like not not quite though. Um, and so I've always been a little hesitant. Just you don't you don't want to get yourself all psyched up and then it falls apart again. Um, but I will say, every step of the way, Halliburton's proven that he's worthy of all of this. So it's like okay, <laughs> let's just keep riding riding it. And uh, see which young guys pop around him, and uh, and go from there. But the one cool thing about tonight, I don't know if it, if it'll get noticed really, because a lot of times you look at the overall team stats and they'll see things like, oh, we shot thirty five percent from three. A lot of fans, we we you know kind of feel like we live by the three, die by the three. You look at the Boston game and we shot like a million threes and missed like eighty percent of them. We shot like twenty seven percent, right? It's mm-hmm. crazy. We won the game tonight, right, by six points. Without Halliburton's three-point sh- shooting, the rest of the team was 24% from three, which Ooh. is not good. So yeah. they were not good from three. The team wasn't. Yeah. Halliburton was, was good. He was 7 of 12, which is, again, insane. Like 60, is that 60%? Is that pretty close? 60%? Yeah. It's almost 75% because it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. So he was insane. But... It helps keep it afloat, but uh, just the fact that like we can win a game against a really good team, best team in the East right now, uh, in terms of their win loss, you know, record right now, best team in the East. We beat them while shooting overall as a team really poorly from three. So that's encouraging. Yeah, seven to twelve is actually fifty eight percent. There you go. Yeah, but you're you know you're right. Close, on. It was, close. It was really close, and it was just great to see. I mean, obviously. He carried the Pacers. There's no doubt about it. You know, yeah, like sure. you said, over half their three point made. Like <laughs> they had 13, he made seven. Yeah. So, you know, it was tough. And Matherin had two of them. And I thought Matherin's shot looked pretty good. I wish he would have shot more of them, to be honest with you. Turner had a big one, obviously. Toppin had a big one. Neesmith, I, I can't even remember the one he made. I know Jalen made that big one in the first. I think quarter. Neesmith made his first one and then he was cold the rest of the game. I mean, yeah, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was. It was I'm pretty sure it was in the first half. His make yeah. a, a lot of his were not in rhythm either, and mm-hmm. he's kind of similar to Miles, where I think he's more of a catch and shoot guy than a guy that's sure. going to shoot off the dribble. Hey, I think he tried to take a step back one two, like retreating to the three point line. I'm like, okay, Aaron. Yeah, he did. So yeah, it, it was a great game though. Overall, there's nothing that I can say more than it feels good to be the Philadelphia 76ers. That team is easy to not like, easy to root against. I mean. Even when like the fouls were pretty fair, I guess you could say number wise, it just felt like every foul was big for them, and they just got free throws. I think that was part of it too. It's just like sometimes it felt like they were getting free throws on stupid stuff when Pacers 
when the Pacers weren't. So yeah, yeah. It, it was a it was a it was a great game to watch, highly entertaining. These in-season tournament games, they're doing their job. The NBA is getting some competitive basketball with these. So, David, I, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. So I'm going to go ahead and tell the people where they can find us because Fachi's not here. So find us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, PacersPodSTP. We're both at Alex. I'm at Alex Gold NBA on both. Fachi's at underscore FACCI on both. Uh, Facebook, TikTok, we're at Setting the Pace. You guys know where to check us out on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. And make sure you guys subscribe to my blog, theblueandgolden.substack.com, where we'll be having 10 thoughts on this game for sure coming out because I've got a lot of things to say that I did not even say on the podcast. So that's what's going to be interesting there because writing just gives me a whole different element and a different way to write. But uh, with that being said, David, if you're excited the Pacers, have some time to rest and just enjoy this win. You know what we do. Hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm.